good as Gary with asthma. <laughs> Last night, I was visiting with my baby sister, Sharon, who's here with her family. And she um, is past her bedtime. You know, she looked down and she said, wow, the time really has gone by. She had to go and go to bed. And, you know, that's that's why time time is weird. I don't know how you feel right now. If it's like time has flown by this morning or it's like drug on. (laughs) I think it's perspective. But time has flown by. And um, and so I pulled out my notes there. I don't like to look at my notes while I'm um, while I'm singing and doing things. But I thought, where am I going to cut this sermon in half? (laughs) Because. I don't want you guys to go, wow, time flew and while we were singing and then it drug on. <laughs> but if you're visiting and you don't know what's going on, um, I'm, I'm going through the book of Revelation, the first three chapters. We introduced uh, Revelation by going through the first chapter, which is so important, and I'll touch on that in a moment. And then we've been there are seven churches in Asia that the, this letter was written to. And this is the, let me think, one, two, three, fourth. This is the fourth church, the church at Thyatira. Uh, and I've been trying to cover, uh, and this is not according to my personality. I, I normally will take one verse <laughs> and preach a whole sermon on one verse or less. But what I'm trying to do is take each uh, church and cover it in one lesson. And the reason is because each part ties closely in with the next part. Okay, each letter has an introduction. It says to the church at and this time at Thyatira. So you have to you have to set it in that in that that city. You have to look at it because some of the things he says ties to the to that particular city. And then he introduces himself, Jesus. It's very important not to skip over that and take a look at what, how, how he's describing himself there. And then he goes in to uh, talk about the things that are doing well. It's important to focus on that. And then the next thing he says are some things that aren't, you're not doing well, some places you need to correct yourself. And then he gives a promise, and then he talks about overcoming as he concludes, and they all tie together. And so what I've been trying to do is rush through these. And I got, I got lovingly fussed at last week for rushing, uh, which, is, which is totally fine. Uh, but I'm trying, to, I was trying to, I'm trying to make this a, a lesson as a whole. And it's just not going to happen today. Uh, we're going to cut this about in half. Uh, and so we'll have part one and part two of Thyatira. But it makes sense because this is the longest letter that is written, so I have more material. When this, I have, I have this entitled Better Than Ever. And there's a reason I have Thyatira better than ever if you want to scan ahead and try and figure that out. But they are a church that is better than ever. Uh, look at this next slide. Back in April, I made a trip to uh, Turkey. And that's a, it was I, I just I rented a car and drove to these seven cities and and uh, and tried to learn what I could from them. The part that says Smyrna is modern day Izmir. And that's where you fly into. You can fly into that city. And the black arrows represent the direction the letter went. Right, this letter of Revelation started in the island of Patmos. 
And then it went over to Ephesus and then up to Smyrna and Pergamum and so on. When I arrived in Smyrna, of course, being there, I went to that site. And then I was originally planning to go up to Pergamum and Thyatira and go clockwise and end in Ephesus. Um, but I wanted to go to Patmos. And I, was, I couldn't arrange it over Internet. There, there, it wasn't clear when the ferries left and, and uh, when they came back. And so I drove down. After I went to Smyrna, I drove down to a, a little city down there where the ferry goes out and found out it would take a total of like four days of traveling because it was slow season and you'd have to go over to the island of Samos and stay overnight and so on. And I just didn't have the time or the courage to call Julia and say, I'm staying another four days. So, um, so I uh, avoided that, but I was in Ephesus. And I, instead of just, you know, saying, well, I, I want to go in order and backtrack, I went the, the, that, that, those letters are the same color as my shirt, whatever that is, uh, went the opposite direction. And that's just to give you an idea of what, what I did in, in, in this trip. An interesting hap- thing happened between Pergamum and Thyatira. Now, re- remember, I'm going from Thyatira to Pergamum, and I'm driving, and I got lost. Uh, I actually didn't get lost. I'm reminded of the movie The Prince's Bride, one of my favorite movies, where Wesley is brought to uh, Miracle Max. Remember that? And he's dead, but Miracle Max says, ah, what do you know? He's not dead. He's not. He's mostly dead, which means he's slightly alive. In the same way, I was slightly lost, which means I mostly knew where I was. <laughs> and it's true. I didn't know where I was. And I... I and this, I, I thought about skipping this video, but it, this will give you a sense of a person. The place I was is a beautiful area I got lost in. I'm thankful I got lost. But uh, let's run this video, and it's, it's called, I called it the lost video, but let's, let me share it with you here. Middle of road construction. I was flagged down, and this gentleman jumped in, and I'm uh, taking him somewhere, and I don't know where. don't speak the same language, but we're friendly to each other. Uh, uh, so down here somewhere. <laughs> uh, so, so that was an interesting experience. Uh, and I'm totally going the wrong way. Uh, let's see here. Let's see if I can show it to you. So I came up this road here, I'm at Sundaglua, and I was going to come here and go up, but I was going the wrong way. I need to come way over here. I'm way over here. Uh, so should I take this road and then go back down here? Something like that, but I am way, <laughs> I'm way off. All right, so I'm going to see if I can get through here man that's a back road here back down here 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 this is going to be fun so for those of you who don't know that's a paper map you can actually buy them Um, I didn't have uh, data on my phone so you know I was at the mercy of just trying to figure it out 
which was a lot of fun, and I did figure it out. I obviously figured it out. I'm here. Uh, I drove into the city that we are looking at as Thyatira, which is modern-day Akashar, something like that. I've heard it pronounced three or four different ways, uh, but it's a, just a, a modern city. This is the longest letter that was written to what some have said is the least significant city as far as political and as far as influence to the area was concerned. It's the least significant, but it's the longest letter. And so let's read this together from verse 18 to the end of the chapter, uh, chapter 2 of Revelation. He says, to the, church, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your servants and your perseverance. And that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her into a bed of suffering. And I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold her uh, to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have have until I come to him who overcomes and does my will to the end. I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Now, as Mark was saying a little while ago, we. The Lord's Supper and many of the things we do are symbolic, and, and you really see this in Revelation is full of symbolism. But our life is full of symbolism, and we know this. If I was to put up a picture of an elephant up here, depending on how it's dressed, it might be the uh, Alabama elephant. I don't, I don't know his name, but, you know, University of Alabama? His name is Roll Tide? Big Al. Oh, Big Al. What? Big Al. Big Al? My goodness, you named after me. Uh, I didn't even know it. So Big Al, you know, or the Republican Party. It could, you know, it could be a Republican Party elephant. Or if it's a donkey, it's maybe the Democratic Party or something else. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so we think in symbols. We see in symbols. We read in symbols. And so we sing the song, Worthy is the Lamb. And I'm because I've lived overseas where... Where our cultures are different, I'm, 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 my, my senses are heightened, and I think of, of someone who comes in for the first time. If this is the first time you've ever been connected to Christianity, and that's doubtful, but it's possible, and you hear this, worthy is the lamb, that's a very strange thing. Now, for us, it's just, oh, worthy is the lamb, we read it, we, we know what we're talking about. But, you know, what does that mean? We had a symbolic, and I mentioned this before, one of the songs up here was symbolic, and it was Australian. Did you know that? 
the darling of heaven. Do you remember me telling you about that? You know, when I first heard that, that kind of like disturbs me a little bit. I, I don't like to call God or Jesus darling. I call my wife darling. If I'm if I'm a waiter at a restaurant, I call the person I'm serving darling because I'm in the South. But, you know, we don't. You, you know, I, and maybe maybe you men don't have problems with this, but I do to call Jesus darling. Well, it's an Australian word. Did you know that you go to Sydney, Australia, and there is a harbor called Darling Harbor. You walk down Darling Hurst and it's their way, their word that they use to describe something that is the absolute best. This is the best. The best, when they came into the harbor, it's a beautiful harbor. Sydney Harbor is not only beautiful, but it's a safe anchorage. It's a great place. And they said, this is the Darling Harbor. That's why they call it Darling Harbor. And so this songwriter who wrote the Darling of Heaven, he's not talking about my sweetheart. All right. He's talking about the best, the most wonderful. And so you come into an assembly like this and you hear the darling of heaven and you're, you're not connected with Christianity. And you think, what in the world is he? What is that? Everyone calls Jesus a sweetheart? No, he's the very best is what he's talking about. And so this, this letter is full of symbolism. Thyatira, first of all, there's not a lot to be said about the city in general. There's not a lot of history that you can find out about it. Not much was written about it in the ancient world. The site here, you're seeing about half the site. It's about two, really about two city blocks square. It's not really big. You go to Ephesus, the entire city has been excavated, or parts, most of it. There's a few little areas that hasn't, but you can see the entire city. Here you can't. See those buildings in the background? Under those buildings is more that they have not excavated. And the reason I assume they haven't is because it costs millions and millions of dollars to buy that property and tear it down to, so they could explore. And, you know, if you have the money, go ahead and do it. But most people don't have that amount of money. So there's not a lot to be seen. It was originally built as an outpost to protect the city of Pergamum that we went to last week. And so it was a little uh, they had a colony of soldiers that started this area and their job was to patrol the, the this area. If anyone came from the east. They were to protect Pergamum, send uh, a message saying we're being attacked. They would give them time. They would stall them in order for them to get to, uh, to uh, where they, uh, to, before they got to Pergamum. It had no great fortifications. It had no great temples. There was no great reason for them to, them to exi- exist except to have this army to, uh, pr- to protect the eastern from an eastern attack. It developed into a manufacturing town. And we're going to look at this in just a moment. Uh, let me explain another video. What I did when I went in, whatever was on my mind, I videoed and talked. And uh, some of the things I said weren't totally accurate in, in some of the clips that I have. I think I was pretty accurate on, on this one. But one of the people that we hear about is Lydia. In the book of Acts, the only other time this city is mentioned is in the book of Acts. When Paul is in Philippi and he goes down to the river and he, there's a group of women who are worshiping God there. And I guess he said, can can I join you? And he began talking to the people there. And one of the people was Lydia, who was from this city, the city of Thyatira. And she became a Christian. 
And so I'm going to mention that in the video that we're going to see now. In Acts uh, chapter 16, we read of Paul going into Philippi. And he and I think Luke was with him at the time, some others, went down to the river to pray. And uh, as they went there, they found a group of ladies at the river. And one of them was Lydia, who was from this very city, Thyatira. She sold purple cloth, uh, dyed, dyed cloth. Purple was a, an expensive color to buy. But she uh, became a Christian. And the city was full of, of uh, unions, guilds, that they did a lot of different things. They, I mean, different guilds. They, uh, some were in cloth, some were in stoneware or metal. Uh, and around each of these guilds was uh, a god. And so in order to be able to thrive in the city, you also had to be able to uh, be a part of the guild, part of the union, and if you didn't pay your dues by going to their parties, uh, you might not do very well in business. And so this manufacturing town, it was known for all sorts of commerce, all sorts of trade. I mentioned some of those wool, fabrics, pottery, bronze, uh, leather, weavers, bakers, all these and more. And fundamental to those was the trade unions, the trade guilds. And as I said, if you weren't part of that, then your work in life would be difficult. It would be very hard to make a living in Thyatira if you weren't part of the union. Uh, these, you know, as I, as I thought about these people, I thought, you know, these were blue-collar people, blue-collar workers. Uh, I was imagining them going to work. And I thought, those worked in the purple industry, their hands must have been dyed, colored. Uh, the people who worked in leather, you can't work in leather very long without nicks and cuts on your hand. And so their hands were probably scarred. Those who worked in the bronze work uh, hardened from working with metal and fire. And so these men were, and women were, hard, good workers. Uh, is that my phone? No. All right, sorry. <laughs> I really thought it was my phone. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> these were blue-collar workers. Um, a few years in the South, a few years ago in the South, uh, there were what we call mill villages. My dad grew up in the mill village in Opelika. And the mill village, we, we used to go down and look at the mill and see the mill. My grandparents worked in the mill. Uh, my, my granddad was an, I think he was an oiler. Is that right? The oiler. He oiled all the machines. My, I meant to ask for my, my grandmother did something with the looms. Spinner. She was a spinner. All right. And this is the kind of people, the kind of town uh, that they went in. They were hard workers, long hours, not the best pay, but proud of their work. And in the midst of this, there was a difficulty, a Christian difficulty. Uh, there wasn't a huge temple there. There wasn't extensive emperor worship that we talked about in the last couple of uh, lessons. But there was a patron deity, and his name was Apollo. And he was established as a patron deity when the soldiers came in, because many soldiers uh, followed Apollo. Apollo was, uh, had, was an archer. 
uh, his, his father Zeus in mythology had given him a uh, bow and arrow that was powerful. And so he was an archer. So many of the soldiers would follow after Apollo. Uh, he was the son of Zeus. He was linked with Helios, the sun god. Uh, he was a very complex and important god. Uh, it, he, he covered many areas of life, healing, light. His, in fact, his son in mythology was uh, uh, from uh, the, uh, the, god, the god that we talked about last week in Pergamum. Uh, es- <laughs> I knew I wouldn't be able to say it. Yeah, and someone else is trying to help me. That's not going to work. Uh, anyway, what, his son was the god that we talked about last week. Escopulus. All right, there you go. Something like that. All right, you try it. Um, anyway, he was the god of healing, the god of light, the god of truth, the god of music, the god of arts, prophecy, defender of, uh, of uh, herds and flocks. He was called radiant in grace and beauty. And so the whole city followed him, but each trade guild had their own special god. So they might choose another god that they would particularly honor in each different in each of the different trades. Uh, there would be regular feasts and worship would be performed by each guild. And uh, the ones that you would were particularly associated with, you would have to sacrifice to this god. Uh, food, the sacrifice would send eaten and honored to the god. Uh, sometimes, but not always, sexual immorality was a part of the worship of uh, different uh, gods. And so here's the tension. Christians had to figure out how am I going to make a living and yet not participate in the union and not participate in the guild as they honor the gods. That's the problem in Thyatira. We look at Jesus, though. Jesus, he introduces this to Thyatira and then he says, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. And so here he says, he describes himself in three ways. Number one, he says, son of God. This is the only place in the book of Revelation that he's referred to as the son of God. Earlier in chapter one, verse 13, he's referred to as the son of man. And that term son of man refers to his humanity. And he often would talk about himself as the son of man. He wanted you to know that he was a real person. He's He's connected with you uh, as a human. He knew what it was like to work in the trade guilds. He wasn't in a guild, but he knew what it was like to work in the guilds. He was a carpenter. His hands were rough. His hands were calloused because he worked with his hands. He knew what these people were doing in Thyatira. But here he says, I am the son of God. And that connects him to his deity. And you put both of these together, son of God, son of man, Messiah is the result of that. And you'll see that connection next week when we get to the end of this of this letter. The patron god, Apollo, had a twin sister. Her name was Artemis. Remember where that came from? Ephesus. If you were here with us and we talked about Ephesus, we talked about Apollo's twin sister, Artemis. Uh, he was called, as I mentioned, son of Zeus or son of God. And so what Jesus, I think, is saying here, he's saying, you as a city look to Apollos as son of God, but I am the son of God. I'm the one who is your healer. I'm the one who's the God of truth and light. I'm the son of God. 
I take care of my sheep. I protect. I teach. I am the truth, the way, and the life. And so when he says son of God, he's referring to himself and, and displacing Apollo and say, listen, listen, I'm going to tell you some things, some things that you're doing at Thyatira. I see it clearly, and I want you to know I am the son of God, not Apollo. His eyes are like blazing fire. We looked at this earlier, and there's, there's hardly any difference between the words here and, and in chapter 1, so I'm just going to touch on them. He sees perfectly. He can see the good and he can see the bad in the church in Thyatira. And he mentions both of them. And he sees it clearly. Uh, third, his feet are like burnished bronze. And I can't help but think that those who worked in the bronze factories, those who worked in metalwork, connected with this. Because the burnished bronze, the heat, as you uh, heated up uh, the, the coals and you put your metal in there and you could shape it in the form that you wanted to, they knew what that talked about. And this referred to the holy strength of God, his judgment, uh, uh, his ability to judge correctly. And then Jesus says this, I know. And I could spend, and I am, I'm going to probably end right here. I know uh, something. I know who you are. Let's see. Let's wait on that just for a second. There you go. Because I don't want to see my face up there. <laughs> People have a tendency to look at something, look at a situation, a church, someone's life, and remember the sin. Remember what is wrong. Look at you. And you look at yourself and you say, you know, I, I'm, I'm too fat. I'm too lazy. I'm too... You... you, you Look at yourself and you put yourself down because you can see clearly the sins in your own life. Do a Google search. Look at uh, YouTube and see the, the lessons that are entitled about Thyatira. They're entitled things like Thyatira, the adulterous church. Thyatira, the church of compromise. Thyatira, the church of complacency. Uh, complacency the corrupted church. That's the titles that you see over and over when it comes to Thyatira. And as I read this, I try to put all that aside and just read the text here. And that's not what I'm seeing. And I think, you know, this is <laughs> this is a characteristic of preachers. All right. <laughs> preachers. And I'm, I'll put myself here. Preachers have this tendency to look at out and see what's wrong with you. And then state what's wrong. And then. Try to convince you that you need to change. You need to repent. And you need to do what's right. All right. There's nothing wrong with And Jesus is going to tell them there's some wrong things that they need to change. But what I'm saying, there's this tendency to, to emphasize what's wrong instead of emphasizing what's right. We got it really good here. You really do. I'm not talking about the preacher. I'm talking about the body. You got it good here. I've been to, I've been literally all over the world. I've seen churches. I've seen the struggles. I've seen the fighting. I've seen the problems. And we have it good. We have it great here. We just don't, we don't realize it sometimes. Imagine if you raised your children always pointing out what's wrong and never pointing out what's right. The only thing you're going to raise is a bunch of kids who are ready to leave home as soon as they can. Really. And I think the same is true when we preachers just emphasize 
and uh, and harp on what's wrong with the church. After a while, you're like, what can I do? I can't do anything right. Let me go find another church. And so here, I don't think this is the adulterous church, the compromising church. We remember Ephesus. Oh, that's the church who lost what? It lost their first love. That's all you remember. What, what's good about Ephesus? Come on. You, everyone knew you lost their first love, but no one remembers what they did right. And I even had a whole section on that. Laodicea, the church that is lukewarm. See, you already knew it. The lukewarm church. What, what was good about Laodicea? You don't know. That's, you get my point? So, the central, the church that is... <laughs> <laughs> we won't say. But, you know, that's what we do. We focus on what's wrong instead of what's right. But I want you to listen to what Jesus says here. I want you to listen to how Jesus describes them. And he chooses six noble characteristics. Jesus starts out and says, there's six things about you that are great. Let's look at the video now. None of the letters to in Revelation are very long. They're short letters. But the longest one was written to Thyatira, which is interesting because it's the least important city of all the cities that, was, that were written to. This, this city had no um, commendation from the emperors and uh, nothing special about it except for it was a, it was a workplace, a union place. But it was the longest letter that was written. And in this letter, uh, Jesus talks about the, uh, the people, the Christians here, uh, continuing in their work. Not like the Ephesians. The Ephesians is they lost their first love. And the wording is something like um, their, their second, their continuing work uh, was greater than their first work. In other words, they continued in that uh, love for God, that, that effort uh, in, in their last work, their, which I guess is their present work, was, as, was better than how they began. So he starts out, off by really commending them. And one of the reasons I, I wanted to continue the whole lesson is because by stopping here, I have to start next week with... The condemnation. <laughs> and, you know, and I don't want people to come in and say, oh, it's just another preacher condemning the church. And so I will remind you this next week, all right, because I want you to know that Jesus knew that these people were doing great. He, he says, your deeds. I know your deeds. And this is the word that we get energy from. I know that you're energetic in what you're doing. I know you're involved. I know you're busy. I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. And, and I'm, you know, I know the, 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 these Christians did not have a big church building where they all came together. They had a bunch of little house churches. That's the way it was, it was in the first century. And I can just imagine these Christians going to and fro in the city of Thyatira, helping one another, energetic, teaching, doing what they needed to do. They, they were known for their deeds. And then Jesus says, and I know your love. Do you know the only church of the seven that's commended for love is this little church in Thyatira? I know your love. And this is a quality that describes God. 
Over in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. And what is that? It is, and we spent, for if you're visiting, we spent a lot of time in 1 John looking at this section in chapter 4 where he talks about love. What is love? It's a word that, that is, uh, the word agape is the Greek word, and it really means your thought-out actions. Those of you who have spent time with Julie and I in premarital counseling or marital counseling, and we talk about love, what do we talk about? We talk about how you think. You've got to look at a situation, and one of the things that love says is love is, and then it tells you what it is, is patience. And so when we're in a situation that our patience is being tried, you have to not react to that situation, but you have to act. That means you've got to think and you have to say, this person is tempting me to be impatient. My wife is trying my patience. And so I decide I'm going to be patient. That's love. Really, that's love. It's not giving her roses after you fought. After you've called her all sorts of rude names, and then you go out and buy chocolate and roses, and you bring it to her. That's not love. What love is, is when you want to be rude to her, and then you are not rude to her. Love is not rude. It's 1 Corinthians 13. And so these people were thinking, and I like to translate it instead of love, because we wrap up a lot of romance and love. I like to translate like that value. Esteem. That's what it means. When I love you, if I tell you I love you, it means I value you. I esteem you. I look up to you. And so that's what he's saying here. These people, these Christians here, the only of the only one of the seven, they were they said they esteemed one another. They loved God and one another. And then he says, I know your faith. Wow. I had, I think, four lessons a few years ago on faith, just that word, faith. And you could have 40. It means a firm persuasion, a belief, a conviction. You can't work in a union city and say, I'm not going to be a part of the union without faith. These people have faith. They said, I'm going to rely on God. I'm persuaded that God's way is the best way. And I'm convicted of my faith. I'm convicted of who you are, God. And so I'm going to live for you. That's faith. And, and Jesus said, that's what you're known for. And your service. What's the difference between work and service? These people are willing to wait and attend on one another. They're serving one another. They're not only active and busy doing things, but they're serving one another. And that means they're placing others in a higher priority than themselves. They hear about someone who needs something. They, they address that need. They help people. They're serving one another. Uh, a passage over in, uh, on, in, over in Mark chapter 10 where, where Jesus says, the greatest among you is the one who serves. And that's what these people were. And we don't emphasize it. We read it quickly and then we talk about the evil Jezebel that was in their midst, which we will next week. But these people were their deeds, their work, their love, their service, their faith, and their perseverance. Patience, patient endurance. And there's a in that word, there's a strong emphasis on patience. They were enduring a lot of things. They went to work. And I, and I, I had a friend who, who talked about he wasn't part of a union, didn't want to be a part of the union. And he came and he found all his tools, some of his tools broken. And 
His locker was trashed. That was the pressure saying, you need to join this, this union. And these people had the pressure far greater than that. They were like, you're fired. You can't work here. You can't participate in, in our trade guild. You can't be a part of it. And they patiently endured these things. And then he says, and that you are doing more now than at first. And I just think, wow. That, that's perhaps the greatest compliment of all. He said, look, you're growing, you're maturing, you're not stagnant, you're getting better. You're getting better and better. Not like the Ephesians who had lost that, fir- that first love. He says, no, you're getting better. You're doing better now than you did at first. And I thought, wow, what a great church. What a great church the attire was. And if, I, if we had people come in here today, and if you're visiting and you said, you know, as I walked in and I noticed... I noticed you guys love each other. And I noticed that you, you, you serve and, and you're energetic and your faith is obvious and you persevere. I've heard that you persevere. And I heard that this church is getting better and better and better. It would be a great honor, wouldn't it, to have this said. And a person did not say this. Jesus said this. When Jesus looked at Thyatira, he said, and he describes them accurately. He's not, he's not buttering them up. He's not buttering them up because he's preparing them for something worse. You know, we do that. We get into a situation and I've got to correct you. And what do I do first? I say something really nice and complimentary and butter you up and kind of half mean it. <laughs> because I'm really trying to get to what I want to really say. That's not Jesus here. Jesus isn't saying, I've got to tell them about Jezebel and, you know, really correct them. So I, what can I, what's good about them? No, this is true. This is the one who has eyes that are blazing with fire. He sees clearly, and these are true statements. This is what these people are really like. These people in small house churches, energetically serving one another. Their faith is growing and glowing. They're being harmed financially, and yet they patiently endured. And they're getting better and stronger than they were in the past. And that's all the time we have. And that's a good way, place to stop, isn't it? Because we're gonna, we'll talk about the bad part next week. So that, that means everyone's not going to be here. Um, no, what we're going to look at is a really an amazing uh, aspect of this, of this church. Uh, and and one, one thing I want to say is that everything, I, I entitled these lessons, The Lampstand at Central. Because every good quality that each of these seven churches are, 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 that mentions, each of the good qualities are qualities that we need to be striving toward. And each of the problems that they're having are problems that we have. We have had and we do have. We, we tempt, we're tempted to have these problems. And so we have to be aware of them and say, I don't want to do that. And so when we get to this, this, uh, this person called Jezebel, there's something in her life that she's influencing the church in Thyatira. And we have the same temptation at Central today. Read that in advance. Think about it. Be prepared. You can be prepared.